Welcome back to Right On Radio. Yes, we are reunited again. Jesse and I are together. It feels like it's been forever because we talk almost every day, but you've yes. been a traveling preacher and minister lately, Jesse. Yes, we've been um, anointing the land, doing deliverance and prayer. And uh, this past week we were in New Orleans. So that was super fantastic. And the power of the Holy Spirit was just moving so mightily in that area. So it was really a neat weekend. Okay. So Jesse, when uh, you sent me a thing, you said you're going through warfare the night you arrived there and instantly, instantly, I, I got that text that I sent you and I knew it came from the Lord. The Lord's glory was going to shine this weekend and you were going to experience it. Did that come true? It did. Absolutely. Yes. Well, 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 God is a good God. And I also had the privilege of baptizing one of our listeners this weekend. What a, the purpose in God's life. He really, he really shined uh, through her that day. What a transformation. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Very cool. So yeah, the, the Lord was really transforming lives this weekend. Absolutely. So just a, a couple quick orders of business. We've got a great guest. You, you, you're going to have to buckle up for this story, people. It's You are going to feel so good about knowing what God can do in your life by this example when I bring her on in just a couple of minutes. But we have a just a couple little orders of business to get through. Jesse, there was another miracle that happened this weekend. Yes. Why don't you tell our audience all about it? All right. So as everyone knows, uh, you know, the, the commies at, uh, at boob tube there, um, have been censoring and we're on our second strike. We're, we're not uh, allowed to broadcast again until, uh, I guess this weekend coming and good dog said, you better get the rest of your videos off there. So I started scrubbing them and I've noticed that they were even, they were even deleting our ministry videos. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I took off all these videos and I'm thinking, man, that, that hurt to do, Jesse, because, you know, these yeah. things sometimes take two hours each to upload and you got to create the art and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And so it really hurt. But then I'm talking to my my friend, the owner of, uh, of our backup platform, Fullstream. That's Fullstream, S-T-R-E-E-M dot live, Fullstream dot live. Um, go sign up. It's a great platform. It's actually the basis of YouTube. Anyways, I'm talking to him and he goes, Jeff, you know, you really should get on Odyssey as well because your videos cannot be deleted from there. Oh, huh. And, and this was on Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. And I, so I remembered when I was scouting out and looking at all these different platforms, I signed up for Odyssey and I clicked a button that said sync with YouTube and then it said, come back in seven days. And I never went back. Huh. All of our videos are up on Odyssey. Oh, that is amazing. I know. I totally forgot about this. It was like three months ago. <laughs> well, that's so, a miracle. All right. I think so. God, pre God prepared it. So uh, really super happy about that. And we've got a whole bunch of announcements coming up this weekend. But I don't want to delay our guests too much. However, Jesse... I'm going to debut something. This is version one. It doesn't mean it's it's great. It's not finished. You've never heard this before. Okay. And, and don't mind the video because I literally just put this video together before we came on air. I know it needs some tweaking. You know how I'm a branding guy, right? Yes. Not necessarily a hit music guy because I wouldn't be a podcaster if I say hit music guy, <laughs> but, but I'm a branding guy. So, I want you to listen to this.
That one is pretty catchy, Jeff. Well, it's supposed to get it stuck in your head. That's the whole idea. My wife hates it. <laughs> it so kind of like the 80s feel to it. <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever. That's when I was kind of into the things. But anyways, listen, without further ado, let's bring in Auntie Ann Byler. Well, hello, y'all. Hello. Uh, y'all, I love it. <laughs> Where are you coming to us from, Auntie Ann? I am from Salado, Texas, about 30 minutes north of Austin. So, uh, you know, if you live in Texas, you got to greet everyone with a y'all. That's well, I just love it. I just love it. And of course, Anne, your story is fantastic. Uh, you're a best-selling author, and her latest book is called Overcome and Lead, and it's available now. And also, she has a website. I want to get this right out of the way. Auntie Anne Byler. That's correct. Dot com. Yes. So you can get our book, the Overcome and Lead, or any books that I've written uh, on on that website, and we'll get it right to you. Amen. And I know you're going to be inspired to do it, especially after you hear this story. So Auntie Anne, uh, that's how you're best known. Yes. I love your story. And, yes. you know, people who watch this program know that Jesse and I teach about stewardship and I have a keen eye for stewardship. Uh, and your story really is about stewardship and restoration and what God can has done in your life but not only that, the exceedingly great things that he wants to do in you, the listener's life. And you got to hear how this happened. Mm. So, Auntie Anne, I, I don't know where you want to start out with, with your background, but uh, let's get into, you know, kind of where you came from. And then, and then I guess we'll go into the family tragedy and take it from there. Yes. Well, first of all, let me say thank you, uh, Jeff, Jeff, for, and Jesse as well. Um, for inviting me to your program. And I love um, sharing my story for God's glory. And, you know, over the years, as I have shared my story, uh, God's glory has truly become my story. And today, as I kind of try to, to give you the backstory of my life and, and then bring you up to uh, where I'm at today, uh, you will see God's uh, grace. And I'm here because of the power of grace in my life and also the power of one really good man. And his name is Jonas Byler. And the grace, of course, we know where that comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ. And so I have the, I call them my J and J friends, Jesus and Jonas. And uh, the two of them together really saw me through uh, the darkness of soul, the times in my life when I thought um, life was over for me. So, Anne, you have new yeah. friends. The other JJ, Jeff and Jesse. Yeah, well, there we go. You're on a roll with the J friends. <laughs> this is going to be a great show. <laughs> I love that. So, thank you again for having me. And um, uh, would you like me to go into my backstory right now, or is there? Yeah, let, let's let's do it. You know, you come from a large family. Yes, and and that's right. And uh, I love I love being a part of a large family. It's it's been such a, a crazy ride, uh, growing back in, growing up back in the uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania area was where we lived uh, all of my life until seven years ago we moved uh, here to Texas. But growing up in the Amish community, my mom and dad old order Amish with the horse and buggy. When I turned three. Uh, they then went to what we call the black car Amish, Amish, which meant that we are moving on up. We were able to have a black car and my dad was able to farm with the tractor instead of horses. And we had electricity and a telephone. So we were uh, we were just we were a step above the old order Amish. But the community I lived in and my uh, grew up in my all of my aunts and uncles, my dad, large family, 11 in his family, nine in my mom's family. So there was a. Uh, I have 125 first cousins. That's not including their spouses, but it's just a large family. Growing up so, in So that, I, I got to ask, Auntie Anne, how do you move up to electricity and stuff as Amish? I didn't realize this existed. Well, sure. And and there's, again, the old order Amish, there's still, there's that, that uh, group, which is, of course, a very small uh, uh, ethnic group. I mean, it's a very, very small minority group. 
and uh, but they are growing uh, through family and um, uh, when I grew up in the Amish culture at that time, very few Amish, old order Amish ever left the Amish and go, going to another uh, church. But uh, as time went on, my mom and dad were the one of the first ones in their family to leave the old order Amish, which how do you do that? Well, you do that with a lot of guts, a lot of grit and a lot of just plain down determination. And my dad did not want to farm with horses. He grew up in that in that culture and he didn't like to farm with horses. So when you leave the old order Amish church and you decide uh, that you're going to move uh, up or over or out of the, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, family ties that are broken. There's a lot of um, uh, resistance from your parents and the community and there's shunning that happens. And, um, you know, I could go into that, talk about that for the next hour, but my mom and dad, I see them as really very courageous uh parents of uh, people in the Amish community. And over time, yes, they were shunned uh, quite a while, uh, which that's a whole other, you know, story. How do they do that? But uh, at the end of the day, what you have to know about the old order Amish people and then the black car Amish and then also the Mennonite people, but particularly the old order Amish, um, family is number one to them, God and family and community. And over time, uh, the shunning part of it um, becomes less and less to where that you actually uh, integrate back into your family again and you you become family again. So mom and dad, even though they were shunned for months and for a very long time, um, family is important. And so then you go back to being family again with the understanding that there are still some uh, there's still some guidelines and some rules that you cannot break. If you leave, there are certain things you cannot do. But uh, they still remain family and very close. Wow. Well, that's that's a story of restoration in itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So so you you broke away and you're you're you know, you moved on with life. You find this perfect man. Yes. And <laughs> And, you know, and then uh, I'm sure you had some, some good years. Tell us about, you know, the first years when you're with your husband and, and then how things started to get off the rails. So Jonas and I, growing up in the Amish culture, he grew up in that culture as well. He was old order Amish until he got his very own car at the age of 16. And uh, because he didn't want, uh, he didn't like horses either. So instead of doing a horse and carriage, he wanted a car. And his dad said, if you want a car, then you're going to need to go find you one on your own. I can't help you with that. So Jonas Byler goes and buys a car at the junkyard, uh, brought it home to a shop, and he repaired that 1950 Ford. And he, out of that experience, he became his lifelong uh, career then was for 25 years, I should say, was a body repairman. But Jonas and I both, growing up in that culture, um, we got married at the age of, I was 19, he was 21, but it was, it was the, a, a very peaceful, very calm, very loving, very family life. And, uh, so to leave all of that behind was, uh, very uh, difficult for me because it was all about obeying your parents, honoring them, respecting them and doing what they asked you to do and doing what the church asked you to do. And, uh, so when we left the, uh, the black car Amish, and went to the very, uh, very simple and very plain Mennonite church at that time. Uh, my mom and dad were very upset with me because I cut my hair and I no longer wore a, a, a prayer a veil. And uh, so it was very difficult. So when you leave any of that order, the old order Amish or the black car Amish, it's a, there's a real struggle within because it's really about uh, honoring God and honoring your parents and being obedient, um, you know, to God and also the church. So to do that takes a lot of um, um, soul searching, a lot of guts, you know, and a lot of perseverance and determination. And what what and when you're us, doing that, Auntie Anne? Do you feel that you're betraying God? Oh, inside is that is that part of the emotion that's going through you? Partially, it's betraying God. It. Yeah, somewhat, because they really tie in good works and obedience to um, who God is and knows the order. It's God, your your parents, and then it's you. And if you disobey your parents, you're displeasing for sure, God. And I grew up believing that life is is good and that God is harsh. And that if I keep all of the Ten Commandments and do everything just right, 
then God would smile on me and he would bless me. And we all know one of the 10 commandments is honor your father and your mother. And so that, that commandment right there for me, when I decided to, when my husband and I, we got married in the plain Mennonite church, but then when we left that church and went then to a charismatic church is where I eventually lost all of my, uh, I, I didn't keep any of the rules anymore. And that's when um, the honoring your parents really had a really strong hold on me. Yes, uh, in some regard, you almost feel like you're uh, disobeying God as well and that he's very displeased. So uh, we got married and uh, the two of us became strong in our faith. I accepted Christ when I was 12. Uh, and as a young married couple, I initially, it was me, I became very, very hungry for the word of God. And I started attending a prayer, uh, a prayer meeting, a Bible study uh, that was directed by a lady by the name of Jotan. She was from Jakarta, Indonesia. God had called her to Lancaster specifically, to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, to minister to the Amish and the Mennonite people. And I went to her Bible studies and her experience with Christ was raw. It was so real and it was so amazing to me. I wanted more of what Jotan experienced. And that's when I began to just uh, come into a relationship with Christ that I never knew existed. I knew I was a Christian, but I didn't have that life giving that, um, that just completely in love with Jesus kind of relationship until we were married at a very young age. And, and my husband then, he became interested in what I was starting to feel. I was reading the Bible more than I was doing anything else at that time because I was so hungry for God's word. And I wanted to know him and I wanted to know his son and I wanted to know what Holy Spirit was all about. So that was really the beginning for us going into a whole, instead of religion, it was more a relationship with Christ at that time. Very, very exciting time in our lives. And so what what's fascinating to me uh, about this part of the story, and is, you know, going from a very traditional Amish, uh, you know, works uh, partly based, uh, and then, you know, discovering the relationship, but going from the Amish church to a charismatic church like that that's over the top it, it was absolutely over the top and my parents uh once again during that phase of our life they somewhat um uh, they didn't disown us but they were very very unhappy with us that we then left the very plain mennonite church and started attending this uh charismatic event that was going on in lancaster county and we ended up then building, actually building a church, a church that seated about 500 people on my dad's farm with his blessing and my mother's blessing. He gave us the property. So that's a whole story in itself. But Holy Spirit was alive and well, and he still is today. That's what I know. But back in the day, that was the beginning of my walk with Christ. And I thought uh, at that time that, you know, um, life is good. God is God is. Uh, is is uh, harsh. I'm still believing that, which was a very um, uh, shame-based doctrine. And it's really not the good news of the gospel. But what I began to discover over life's uh, experiences that we had as, uh, as a couple is that life, what I know today after life's experience, the hardships of life is that life is hard and God is good no matter what. And I am not confused about those two today. Life well, is hard. God is good, God but is I'll good. tell you, his spankings <laughs> hurt. <laughs> oh, oh my, yes, they do. And I had plenty, <laughs> of <those. laughs> plenty of those. But his grace, Jeff, overrides. His grace is so beautiful that once you taste that and you walk in that way, um, you're just a forever child of God. It's There's no other way to go. I mean, uh, we went through lots of hardships and I can go into that right now if you'd like me to. And yeah, um, you talk about that because you went from kind of that moment of, you know, you were living the faith, but not quite experiencing the relationship within it. Then you come out and you're starting to taste and get that relationship with Christ. And then you walk through you know, what I would just call one of the most difficult seasons that a person could go through and maybe just share, you know, what that was like and how that, like your feelings through that and how that was affecting your relationship with God. Well, you described it accurately, a difficult season. Um, we were married about seven years and we're very involved in this um 
this church and we were youth pastors and we were on a, I want to call it a spiritual high. It was so exciting. It's hard to describe what it was like to truly live in that moment when um, Holy Spirit was so real in our lives. It's so vibrant. And we were ready to win the world, you know, for Christ and uh, in our community, bringing many people to her church. And we would see whole families uh, find Christ, whole families um, go to the altar and find Christ as Savior. And uh, right on top of that, uh, it was during that time that um, we had two daughters at that time. One was five and the other was 19 months old. And uh, it was on a beautiful Monday morning. And uh, Angela, my caller, my sweet Angie, um, walked up to my mom's house. We lived on the same little farm out in the country. And uh, most every morning she would walk up to my mom's house, her and her sister. And together they'd go up and have their sort of their second breakfast. And between our between our homes, there was a, a barn that my dad did uh, cement work and did uh, stone siding. And my sister worked for him and she was very often on the on the tractor loading and unloading sand. And that particular morning, um, as Phi looked around to see if any of the kids were around, she backed up. And when she went to move the tractor forward, Angie, our 19-month-old, uh, was dead in front of the tractor. And she had accidentally run over her, not knowing that she was in in the area at the, around the barn at that time. And, um, um, you know, we're never really ready for trauma or tragedy and uh, in our lives. And it, you know, the phone call or the uh, the, the message that comes to you that uh, something tragic has happened. It's hard to really, in the moment, uh, it's it's hard to believe and trauma sets in. And when my father um, ran to my front door, I, I before I saw my dad, I heard a lot of screams and I knew something was terribly wrong. And I knew in my heart as a mother that my sweet Angie was gone in that moment. Before I knew, I knew that she was gone. And um, I, so I run to my front door. My dad uh, is um, crying and wailing as he brings Angie to my front door. And all he could say is, I believe she's dead. I believe she's dead. And, and later down on the grass. And um, when he did, I, I remember the feeling of just, I wanted to, to run away. I didn't know where I wanted to run to, but I, I didn't know what to do with, uh, with sweet Angie now. And, um, but eventually I went back to her and I picked her up and, um, I ran to my father's, that was in the day before 911. <laughs> and um, it was in the days before you called the ambulance first, um, I guess. But in my in my trauma, I carried her to my dad's car and he followed me. And we drove to the clinic that was about five minutes from our house. On the way to the clinic, I remember um, just, um, I, I, I was still in denial. I didn't, I could hardly look at her because I, I, I knew she was gone, but yet I, I, I wanted her to be here still with me. Mm -hmm. A parent is never supposed to survive their kids. And I can't imagine, like no one can imagine unless you've experienced it. And, you know, just, just your bravery. I know you've told this story many, many times and, and God gets the glory. And we know that she's in, She's in glory with him waiting for you. And we can say all those niceties, but yes. it, it, it's cut, it, like it, it, my heart's wrenched listening to this, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's amazing that you're able to get through it. Uh, God's given you strength to give this testimony. That's for sure. Yes, he has, you know, and um, would never have imagined that day. Of course not. As you, as you go into tragedy and you experience trauma, you really, uh, everything is a blur. You, you're, it's, it's like you can't live in reality anymore. So you try to find a way to, to cope. And I, I believe that God has given us um, the something that gets into us when tragedy um happens to where we can actually cope to get through that. And, and I guess that trauma may be one of those uh, things because um, I remember as, as, uh, as we came back from, from the clinic and uh, my, my sister, um, they found her somewhere out in a field somewhere and um, her life was changed dramatically. But what happened that day 
was uh, you, you never know when you're going into tragedy what what the outcome of it is really going to be. So my mind was on losing uh, Angie is she's gone to heaven now. And what am I going to do without Angie? And I, I know that as Angie made her ascent into heaven that day, I began my gradual descent into a world of emotional and emotional pain and spiritual confusion. And I'm thinking about me and Jonas. And, and as I go to my, my sister's, my mom's house where my sister lived, uh, my mom met me at the, at the, uh, in the driveway. And she said, Phi or Anne, I want you to know that Phi, is, she thinks that you're really mad at her and she doesn't know if she wants to see you right now because that you would be very angry at her. And instantly I went into this mode um, of, of like, Oh, wow. I didn't think about her. And so I'm going to have to be strong and I'm going to have to uh, yeah, be strong for her. And I couldn't have said it then that day. But what I know now is that I had to pretend and I had to cover up, uh, my feelings of grief and sadness to be strong for my sister, Phi. Mm -hmm. And up until that point in life, honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't know what pretending was all about. We lived, there was eight of us kids on the farm and there was no pretending. I mean, we were just a big family and we were just raw and real. But one thing that we did not do is we were never uh, able to talk about how we feel feel about anything. We could talk about things, our experiences during the day, and we could talk about school and we could talk about things, but it was never about how I'm feeling. So if I'm feeling sad or angry or upset, we were never able to talk about those things. So that day uh, when my mom told me about my sister, um, I knew then that I had to pretend and I had to act like everything is okay. And I can't explain that now, but I've written a book. It's called The Secret Lies Within, uh, which explains my journey of uh, going into this place of almost um, almost a secret life. Uh, because inside of the inside of me was 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 crying and the inside of me was asking questions. And why God? And since I was such a good girl, I always wanted to be a good girl. And I was a good girl. I mean, I never even got a spanking from my dad. <laughs> I was a good girl. And I didn't understand if since I was a good girl, then why is what we do when tragedy happens and why God did you allow this to happen? And so over time, then I just began to withdraw, isolate because I couldn't be me. I couldn't really be who I was. I had to pretend to be strong. And then for our four-year-old daughter, she, the five-year-old at that time, I'm sorry. Um, she is probably the only one who saw me cry because I would cry at home when no one was around. I didn't want anyone to see me cry. And I understand all that differently today. Thank God. But, but you, you see what I'm saying? The enemy comes in when we experience trauma and tra tragedy. He really does. He comes in and he, he silences us. And he truly made me believe that I cannot talk about this. And so my husband and I, who were very close, we had a great marriage. We were the best of friends. So the day Angie was killed, I lost my daughter. And over time, my husband and then my sister, Phi. So the only person that was left in my life was my daughter, my old, older daughter, who was five. And she's the only one that saw my tears. And and I want to I want to get into what happens when you started leading this secret life, but I, I think it's just important to note because you mentioned the enemy comes in yeah. in times of trial and things like that, and you know we know that the that Satan has to actually ask permission of God, and mm -hmm. so God allowed this. Uh, there's no way around it. God allowed it to happen, but. What's what's what I find there's victory even in this part of the story, and we haven't even got to the the you know the really good stuff, but there's victory even here because you were felt you had to lead a secret life and you're holding all this stuff in, you're not allowed to talk about it. Now God's given you this platform to do to talk about this all the time, right? Like so. You know, the, the enemy comes at us and God lets us get tested and, and it's never, never pleasant going through this. Uh, you know, I know he's had my, my life's been dismantled more than once, yeah. you know, 
in many ways, but uh, it's amazing. But when you, when you talk about this secret life now, this is, this gets really, really interesting because of the effects it has on you uh, inside of your own and what, what happened with, with your family. So let's get into some of the consequences that came from leading this secret life in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and so, you know, let me just say this before I get into that is, you know, I love a line by Dr. Richard Dobbins, connected we live, alone we die. And I'm convinced that the plan of the Satan's plan is, is to disconnect us, isolate us, and make us feel alone. And when we're in that place, uh, there's really no real living there. The tragedy is not in dying, but it's what dies inside of us while we live. And as I was keeping secrets and pretending that everything was okay, I didn't understand it at the time, but I was living a secret life. And uh, because of that, um, after five months of just not being able to talk about Angie's, how I'm feeling, now Jonas and I would occasionally, we'd talk about the accident and and my sister, Fine, and I would talk about the accident, but we were never able to articulate uh, how we're feeling. I would never have said to anyone that I'm feeling very sad today, or I would never have said that that I'm mad today. I would never have said that, oh, I really miss Angie today. Why? Because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. And I almost felt like my silence was spiritual, something like I'm strong in my silence. Like I can do this all by myself, me and Jesus. And over time, though, it it broke me down. Five months later, I'm weeping, sobbing in my in my uh, one night after Jonas went to bed. I would always get up and cry myself to sleep on the couch. I couldn't bear the thought of crying in front of my husband. I didn't want to cry, and so I would get up and I would cry myself to sleep on the couch. And one night, I went out to my uh, my chair and I just knelt there and I just went before the Lord. And I said, Lord, I need, I need somebody that I can talk to about what's going on inside of me. I don't have the vocabulary. I don't have the, the verbiage. I don't know how to do this, but I need someone. And, uh, you know, the next, uh, the next day, um, I was kneeling at church in, uh, kneeling at the, at the altar at church and my pastor came to me and he had never done that before. And he said, come see me tomorrow at my office. And I did. And that day uh, was the day that the very first visit that I had with him, he took advantage of me. And he, um, when I left his office, I knew that, that what he did was not okay, but I blamed myself. And I decided that just as I cannot talk about Angie's death and how I'm feeling, this is one secret that just, whatever happened to me, I don't, I didn't know anything about sexual abuse. I didn't know anything about, abuse of spiritual power. I didn't understand what just happened, except I knew it wasn't okay. And I decided to keep that a secret. And because I kept that secret then, kept me in a almost a seven year long abusive relationship with my pastor uh, in every way, abuse in every way, deceptive, manipulative, sexual in nature in everything. And as I'm going into this darkness, into this dark world, somewhat innocently, I might say, but very quickly, I understood this is wrong. I can't do this, but I'm trapped. And um, it's it's hard to explain it. So people ask me, so why did you stay in, in that relationship that long for seven years? I, I can't answer that question except to say one thing, that when we enter the dark world, and I was a child of God, and I know that Christ lived inside of me, and I know that his Holy Spirit was helping me. And I know that he heard every prayer. And I know that he saw every tear. I know that he heard all of my cries. But I, I gave permission to enter the dark world of deception. I, 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 took, I took the bait to enter the dark world of deception because I wanted to be cared for. I, I, wanted, I wanted to be understood. And, and for whatever reason, I felt like my pastor understood me. It, it's manipulation and it's abuse of power. It's, it's all kinds of things. And, and one of the things I just want to say to our listening audience right now, uh, this is a very common thing that happens. Yes. 
Okay. Yes. I'm not labeling all pastors. We're not saying church is bad. That's right. But if you're in one of those relationships, we want to help you. That's right. Okay? Reach out. You can send an email to write on Jeff at gmail.com. And we're going to, you know, get you to some prayer warriors. We're going to get some people you can talk to. You can get out of it. You should get out of it. It's, it's from the pit of hell and it's deception. And I'll tell you, God's got a special place for, for the, these predators that do this. And uh, we pray for their redemption as well, but also for their, uh, they need to be held to account. Absolutely. I think Annie, you know, it was so powerful. I, you said something very strong that just kind of really struck me. Um, you said you wanted to be understood and it really wasn't, you know, necessarily the pain or oh, that's right. it was that you wanted somebody to understand the darkness you were experiencing. And the only way that, you know, I, I see now that kind of the pastor was able to take advantage and connect with that because, you know, that sinful relationship was that darkness you were feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. It's powerful. Absolutely. You, you know, through all of this, you know, I love the word that you just uh, spoke to have about, you know, people encouraging encouraging them to come out and be bold and courageous and, and uh, tell someone, um, you know, um, I, I, I truly believe that as I, as I entered that dark world, not knowing where I was headed. Um, but let me tell you something. What I discovered is that when you enter the dark world, <laughs> Satan gives you the tools that you need to get around there. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about the darkness and, and abuse. Again, the, the dark world of deception but let me tell you, Satan is quick to give you the tools to get around. And it's it's amazing how he will keep you there as long as you allow him to. And, and of course, I stayed there because I didn't I couldn't find my way out. I really felt like I was trapped in this place. And I felt like at one point that I I described it as feeling like I, I was holding on to the edge of a cliff. And like my fingers were just barely holding on. I knew if I let go, I was going to go into an abyss where I would never come back again. Yeah. That's the darkness of deception that we find ourselves in. But the good news is this. When you walk in the light, Holy Spirit gives you the tools and the ways and the means and the power to walk in the light. And so there is a way out. You know, let, let me tell you three things that I, I discovered. I didn't realize it at that time, but hindsight is 2020. The lessons I've learned about my darkness of soul and those, those, the secret that I kept have been a lifetime of learning what happened there in that season for me. And one thing that I learned that the power of confession, which I want to talk about if we have time, I hope we do. And that is that there's three types of confession. The one type is the one that we're all very familiar with. It doesn't matter if you live in an exciting life, successful life, or whether you're in a deep, dark abyss, whether you're in a darkness of soul period of your life. It's what I call the bedside prayers, the prayers that we pray to Jesus. And we know that he hears us every single time we talk to him. And we know that every time we confess to him, he said that he would forgive us our sins. And, you know, every time we talk to him and we confess, he restores us every time spiritually, spiritually. So it's the bedtime bedside prayers, which is a safe confession to make. And then we have the journaling, which the psalmist David did. It's kind of a risky thing to do because you begin to write down what's going on in your mind. You actually write down your feelings. You write down the things that you're thinking. And it's just, it's it's scary and it's risky to do the journaling. But David did it. We love David because you don't you don't wonder what David's thinking or what he's feeling. We love David. We, we can relate to him. The third type of confession is the one to another confession, which found which is found in James 5:16. Confess your faults one to another 
your sins, your failure, your your struggle, your darkness of soul, whatever it is that you find yourself in, confess that one to another and pray for each other. And then you will be healed. My bedside prayers sustained me. Uh, my journaling really just helped me stay in communication with my spirit, with myself. Let me know who I really am. And then my one to another confession connected me relationally, first of all, to my husband and then my family and then my siblings and then my church and then my community and eventually a business and then the world. So the one to another confession yeah. sets you free. It makes you whole and sets you free. It's a relational thing. The bedside prayer is the confession of Christ. It's a spiritual connection with him. But the one to another confession is a relational confession and heals relationships. And that's been my journey. And when I was able to confess after seven years of darkness of soul, never saying anything to one person, finally God said, get up off your knees and go tell. Wow. That's There's so much there. First of all, uh, number two scares me. <laughs> if anyone found my journal, <laughs> here come the guys with the white jackets now. <laughs> you know, like I would be seriously locked up and committed. And and number three is also a risk, and because listen, we're dealing with human beings, and human beings are very flawed <laughs> in many ways. And you confess, you're taking a risk because they might not accept your confession. They might hold it against you. Absolutely, Jeff. But you know what? I, uh, what I know about this, my own experiences, it confess once you know that you cannot predict the outcome. It's not about that. It's about the commandment. It's about the principle that he said, if you will do this, mm -hmm. then you'll be healed. It's a promise, but it's one of those, it's the hardest thing I, I, I think that I can say in my lifetime at that point, when God said, get up and go tell. I can tell you it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. I almost, I wanted to stay where I was by my bed. I wanted to keep journaling because I did not know what that one confession, I didn't understand the power of it. The power it of his promise. In the moment, in the moment, it was hard. It's like God says, tithe and I'll bless you. I don't want to tithe. I don't want to give that, oh, I need that money. You know, same thing with confession. I don't want to do this because we get comfortable in where we are. And, but I'm telling you, when I went to tell my husband that day, that story's in my book and unbelievable story. I believe in our darkness and in our places of uh, darkness of soul, in our secrets, in our deception, in our pain, we believe mostly lies. The lies that I believed, I was unlovable, I'm unforgivable, I'm unchangeable. And I know one thing for sure. If Jonas finds out about this, he will divorce me. I believe that just as clear as uh, the sun sets every night and rises every morning. I knew that Jonas would divorce me. So share, I, I love this part when you, when you go to him, it, it's just the perfect example of kind of the struggle and the wrestling and how he received that. But why don't you share for the audience kind of what happened with that, how he received that, and then what happened after? Wow. <laughs> I can barely tell that story because I remember it so clearly and I feel all of it as I'm telling the story. But I love sharing this because why? Because it 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 displays the glory of God and it displays the power of his redemption, but it also displays two broken people deciding we're not going to get a divorce. Now I didn't decide that he did. So when I made the confession, I was so broken. I weighed 92 pounds. I was falling apart from the inside out, constant headaches, constant backaches. Been to the doctor twice. I thought I was having heart attacks. 
Secrets will literally, let me tell you, when I say this, they will kill you, body, soul, and spirit, if you live there long enough. And the next thing on the agenda was for me to take my life. And I'd considered it twice because I, it's easier for me to keep a secret than to live and tell. Wow. It's, it's just crazy. And so when I went to tell my husband, I told him I had nothing to give. I was unemotional. And I just simply two sentences. And the look in his eyes told me he cannot bear this. And he is going to divorce me. I have to walk away. And I walked away. I never hugged him. Uh, there was no exchange verbally from him. I didn't give him time because I was scared to death. I went home and I waited for him to either call me or come home. And it was hours until he came home. And when he did, he said, "Hun, you and I need to talk. And when the girls are in bed tonight, we'll just need to talk for a while. And it was like maybe six o'clock. So that meant I had a couple of more hours to wait until he was going to tell me that he is going to divorce me. And I was so nervous and I was so unsettled and so scared. And so when the girls went to bed that night, we're standing in our little kitchen in Troop, Texas. We did have a stint of living there for 10 years prior to uh, actually moving here seven years ago. I don't want to confuse the audience. We lived there for a while. And we were in our little kitchen there in Troop, Texas. And, and he said, "Hun, I know that you've been unhappy. And I know that, you know, I thought it was because of Angie's death. But he said, I, I want you to know, I want you to be happy. But if you can promise me one thing. And I remember at that point, I began, I began crying. I hadn't cried all day. I began weeping because I'm like, I know what he's going to say. But what he said was, I want you to promise me that you won't leave me in the middle of the night with a dress, with a note on the dresser, but tell me if you have to go, please tell me. He said, I'll help you. I'll help you pack your bags and we'll find a place. I don't want you to go. But we'll do this together. And if you go, then you need to take the girls with you because by then we had a second daughter. Again, we had another baby. You need to take the girls with you because they need their mother. In that moment, this is why I'm so crazy, amazed, so passionate, so determined. I feel like God's given me a mandate. I have to tell people the power of confession, the one to another confession, as hard as it is, you don't know what's on the other side of that. You don't know what God really wants to do when you find your freedom. You don't know what he wants to do. I believe that Satan wants to keep us in this dark place. Why? For one reason only. He doesn't care. This is my opinion, whether I go to heaven or hell. What he cares about is that I fulfill the purpose for which God created me for. And if he can keep me in a dark place, if he can keep me defeated, if he can keep me in a place where I feel alone and disconnected and all alone, guess what? I will never fulfill the purpose for which God created me. And when I make that confession, freedom is, is really where confession takes you to freedom. It sets you free to become. Let me tell you something, though. It's not an instant miracle. <laughs> the hard work only began the day that I told Jonas what was going on in my life. Now it became about the inner life that I had to begin to look at. I had to, I had to look at what I did, what happened to me. And I had to look at the fact, one fact is, what is my responsibility now? How am I going to respond to this? And let me tell you, it took years 
of patience with each other as a couple. It took years of counseling. It took years of prayer and journaling again, took years of confession. But here we are. And it's during crazy. those years, and uh, was there a significant turning point when you felt, okay, we're really going to be able to do this? And if there was, what was it? Yes. When we, when at the, initially when, when we began to talk and a few days later, my husband uh, called, he called a, a counselor that day, actually that day. And uh, the counselor said to him, you have two choices. One is you can go do what your wife's been out and about doing. You can divorce your wife. Um, you can go have an affair. Uh, or the other choice is you can love your wife as Christ loves you. Not the church, but as Christ loves you. And that was the moment when my husband said to the counselor, how do I do that? And the counselor said, I can't tell you how to do that, but Holy Spirit will teach you. And if you could interview my husband, he would tell you that story. But what began to change in his life, he said, the spotlight went off of me, what I'd done, and he began to search. How is it that Jesus loves me? How is that? And then how can I love my wife and my children that way? And at that time, he decided that the best thing that we can do is go for help. We went for five sessions of counseling. And at the end of those five sessions, I knew then that Jonas was not going to divorce me. And that was a matter of maybe 10 weeks. I knew that he would not divorce me. And I knew that we were going to stay together. But even then, I wasn't sure what was our marriage going to look like. Are we going to be struggling for the rest of our lives? But wow, remember this. Confess your faults one to another, and you'll be healed. Holy Spirit within you, once you're brave enough to bring your deeds into light. First John, I think it's First John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, if we do this, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. That's when we begin to, we begin to connect relationally. And then his blood cleanses us from all sin. It starts with walking, confession, walking in the light. And I would say probably three to four months into that, we knew that our marriage was going to be intact. And we also decided we're going to do whatever it takes to be healthy in our marriage and in our relationship with each other and with Christ. And uh, I can tell you, it's been a journey. And we didn't know at that time that the redemptive plan that began to take place, part of the redemption that took place, during that confession, the beginning of redemption for us was the confession. And then Auntie Anne's was five years later, uh, was a part of that redemptive plan that the Lord had for us. Unbelievable. When I thought life was over for me at 37, God must have been chuckling. Like he, she has no idea what I have. <laughs> she has no idea. We had no idea. Life was for us, and I want to get to to the uh, to the business. But you know, I just I, I'm not doing a very good interview because I'm more commenting on because I'm actually learning from you. Like I, I got some work to do, Jesse. We're gonna have to cancel some shows. I got a lot of confessing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, if we don't need to cancel, you can do it right on the show. <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> God awesome, will Jeff. really honor that. <laughs> One to another, right. That's right. Um, but what, as hard as this was, you always have to move forward. And yeah. it takes action, and it's not easy to do. And I, I think this is, this is where you're honored in this uh, personally because you had the will. Well, first of all, you know, and I'm going to talk about this later on another show today, but... Uh, you have your why, and when you have a really strong why, you have your will oh, to go that. forward. And, yes. and that yes. really has to bubble up and and come true in your life. But the, the hardest step was taking the first one. And, uh, you know, once you start walking in that direction, you're, there's really no turning back. So what an amazing story. And it's not an overnight thing because God wants to do it right. Yeah, That's absolutely. The, so tell and, us and about, and by the way, and, and 
your husband, what a good dude. I got to say. Good dude. You got that right. I hit the jackpot the day I married Jonas Byler. Let me tell you. You did. <laughs> He's the keeper. <laughs> hey, does he have any brothers? Because we're going to be doing <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> no, he does not have any brothers living. He experienced tragedy with his uh, older brother uh, before our Angie was killed. So he has a brother in heaven. Sonny is his name. And we, uh, he, he was a great guy. So he's probably up there rooting for us. I'm sure he is. Amen. <laughs> So how does this lead to your incredibly successful business? Okay, so we talked about, I mentioned the counseling. And when we began to do that, Jonas became intrigued. Before he was intrigued with his mind, he's a mechanic, uh, mechanical mind. He, he loves to figure things out. And uh, so when we went into counseling, he, he became intrigued and almost obsessed with trying to understand why, why, how did this happen to us? I mean, we were an intact Amish Mennonite family. I mean, we were Bible believing. We were well on our way to winning the world for Christ. How, did, how can this happen? And uh, so he began to study under Dr. Richard Dobbins out of Emerge uh, Ministries in Akron, Ohio. During the day, it was a correspondence course. And uh, he got a he, he got a, counsel, a a degree in layman's counseling, and he began to do marriage counseling in our home in Texas. And also, we moved back to Pennsylvania soon after that. And he began to do marriage counseling to the uh, Amish in the Mennonite community, and he did it as a free service. And so there you go, bingo. Uh, when you do something, uh, you know, charity charity work doesn't really put any money in the bank. And I began, I saw his passion. And he was doing it for about a month after we moved back to Pennsylvania. I said, you know what, hon, I think I need to go to work, uh, you know, to put some bread on the table. So we started Auntie Anne's. Uh, that's a whole big story. It's in my new book called Overcome and Lead. But I went to work to support him so that he could do a uh, free service, free counseling to anyone that came uh, to see him. And that's what he did for after we started Auntie Anne's. We were able to support that for over 10 years. Every single person, we had a staff of about uh, anywhere from five to 10 people at the counseling service over time. And for over 10 years, we were able to do free service to every single one uh, that came in for, for counseling. So Auntie Anne started because Jonas wanted to do counseling out of our pain. Our purpose was born. I went to work and uh, the rest is history. So this is a pretzel business. That's correct. And so I, I just love how businesses scale because that's such a complicated thing. And a lot of people, this is where many entrepreneurs will go wrong. Of course, you know, they try to scale too fast. They try to, you yes. know, there's, there's so many different traps set there for, for right. you know, a sole proprietor, a new business, uh, a small incorporation. Tell me about the biggest challenges in scaling this business up and, and really, I guess, how you got your first break with it and then w how you started the scale. Well, so Antians was, uh, we did one store in February. We did the second store in, uh, in July that same year. Uh, at that time, Jeff, honestly, uh, that we had scaled. Okay. Uh, because we never really planned on a, a business. We didn't even want to own our own company. Uh, but we got, to, you know, it was Antians is a modern day business miracle. And what we knew, what we knew after the first and second store, we knew we started with a purpose. We knew what our purpose was. And that was to uh, for Jonas to be able to do marriage counseling. And it was also, as we began to make money, we also knew it meant to give financially into the kingdom of God. So we knew what our purpose was. Number two, uh, we knew we had a great product. We knew that about eight weeks into Auntie Anne's, we revised a uh, a uh, recipe that we were familiar with and revised it. And we came up with Auntie Anne's recipes. So we knew we had a great purpose. We had a great product. And then we also knew that we needed great people to take our product to market so that we could fulfill our purpose. When we began to truly understand that part of what was going on here, I remember Jonas after we, uh, then the next year we built 10 more stores. So uh, it was during the beginning of the second year that Jonas, we were, we kept getting inquiries about people wanting to sell our product and people wanting to license and they wanted to use our name and our recipe and wanted to help 
wanted us to help them get started. And finally, we kept saying no, no, no. And finally, Joan just said, you know what, hon? We need to get out of the way and let's see, let's just see what God wants to do. I feel like he wants to do something very big. Now, the very big, we had no idea what that meant, but it began to scale. I would say when we did the second year, when we did 10 stores that year, we did that. He and I did that ourselves, uh, trained everybody, opened, we built every store. Um, we uh, were able to help them with the recipe. We uh, it was amazing. So we scaled the second year, but when we went into franchising was the, year, the third year in business and we realized that we were not licensing, we're actually franchising. Mm. <laughs> and it was a very, very scary thought. People asked me, uh, could you help me franchise? What I will say to you is uh, franchising is very litigious. It's one of the most uh, complex ways uh, that you can do business. If you want to really grow your company, go the Chick-fil-A route. <laughs> Their model is fantastic. And what it means that you have a lot of control over your product and your concept and your logo and your, uh, your product. So there's a whole lot to say about that, but I feel like we uh, began to realize that the, the scalable, what, that we had a franchisable product uh, the second year, but then year three is when we began to to, to kind of climb up that wall and, and began to scale. Uh, that year we did 35 stores, the next year 65. So we didn't really have time to think about uh, <laughs> strategizing. Uh, we were learning as we grew and God brought to us great people. This company is not about NTN. It's about a great purpose, a great product and great people. And it's all for God's glory. Well, you know what? Purpose, product, and people. That, that is the best summation I've ever heard a business owner uh, say about a very successful order. business. In that order. Yeah. Uh, and so just for entrepreneurs listening, look, God can do the same thing for you. There's a couple real lessons that I want to point out, just stuff that I'm hearing in this. First of all, simplicity of product offering. Yes. Don't you cannot be everything to everybody, and it's a niche essentially. Um, now, the pretzels were around before Auntie Anne's, and, okay. and and listen, business advice. Here's one of the best pieces of business advice I could ever give to anyone, and it's one that I follow myself. Be first to be second. Mm -hmm. Let someone else go through. If you think you have the most unique idea in the world, if someone else hasn't done it, there's probably yes. a reason. So, you know, if you see something, take it off, be the first to be second. So th there was a strong purpose. Uh, she knew her why. So they had to do their, they had the willpower. They had the simplicity of product. And then as soon as they had a success, you duplicate the success. And essentially the franchising, there's a lot of complexities that go into this obviously, but once you do it, it's yeah. duplicate, 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 duplicate. You, right. It wasn't coming out with the newest, greatest product. It's not coming out with it. No, here's the formula. We can tweak the store a little bit. Sales will go up a little bit. We place something here. We do something there. Absolutely. But then after you duplicate, then it's just analyze and, uh, and make sure you're getting the money per square footage in your stores. Absolutely. And don't be in a hurry to grow. Don't be in a hurry. Absolutely. You know, one of the uh, strong business uh, lessons that I learned is uh, one of my clients had a really successful business, you know, had about uh, 30 trucks on the road uh, in a kind of a service oriented retail and service business. And then 2008 hit and he right away went down to like four trucks. So he immediately, he reacted so fast. It was lightning fast. And then its economy got great. And the, you know, he could have gone right back up. Sorry, not 30 trucks. It was 10 trucks, not 30 trucks, uh, about 30 people. But he said, you know what? I'm not going back to 10 trucks. And he mm -hmm. goes, life is good right here. Sometimes <laughs> you don't need to grow. That's right. <laughs> Keep it simple. The kiss philosophy. <laughs> That's yeah, right. And you know, I have time with my family, <laughs> you know, it's, Right. It's an amazing yeah. thing. Wow, what a story. And you I, I want to get this book overcome and lead. Uh, so yeah. it's at 
It's at Auntie Ann Byler. That's B E I L E R dot com. Go. To, I'll put the, uh, the the website in the description of the video as well. Excellent. Go check out that book. Final thoughts, Jesse. So amazing, and you know, I know when I heard you speak at the Fear and the Faith conference, it just it impacted my life so much. And you know, for anybody out there who's had trauma or abuse, you know. I think the most powerful thing was the connection with the confession, you know, and just how powerful that spiritual discipline is. And that even, you know, that's the doorway the Lord uses to open that redemption. So I just want to thank you for being so, you know, courageous to take that first step to break the silence Mm -hmm. and to not let your life be controlled by it. And then allowing the Lord just to take, you know, take what you had kept silence and or kept silent and just do such powerful things with it. So thank you, Annie. <laughs> yeah. You're so welcome. It's my, my great honor. Thank you all. And your two new J&J friends. I love that. I'll never <laughs> And I think I'll be on your show tomorrow. So that's right. And I'm looking, <laughs> I am looking forward to that as well, Jesse. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, well, what a great guest, and thank you for inspiring, and thank you for sharing those deep truths, and uh, I I really got some big takeaways myself, particularly on confession. Not that I have a lot of stuff, but, eh, okay, I got issues. (laughs) That's my first confession. (laughs) You got the dating show, and and we're going to make it the confession show. Oh, this is Jesse's revenge. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. I think so too. Confession show. Oh my Ooh, goodness. Confession oh my. hour. Okay. Well, you know what? I got an idea. We're going to get all of our regular guests to come on and confess something. Ooh. There Ooh. we go. Break the we may be on there. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. We actually did that this weekend. It was very powerful at the conference we were at. And I talk about the altar surrender and and so we had a couple ladies who courageously went up on the board and started to lay uh-huh. their pieces of wood or the altar or the surrender, the confession right there. And we're doing it in front of everybody. And it was just so powerful. Powerful, Yes. So Jeff, you'll have to watch my video for my class that I just did. Well, I will be, right of course. And, and then we'll make a show out of it. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, thank you to the great Auntie Anne Byler. And thank you, Jesse. Remember, hit that like and subscribe and all that sort of stuff. We don't ask often enough, but it really does make a difference. And speaking of making a difference, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbors, and make a difference in your community. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.